What's up, Salt Company? How we doing tonight? Come on. It's good to see you guys. You guys can take a seat. You guys can take a seat. Man, real quick, can we give it up for those who got baptized on Sunday? Come on. What a time. Let's rock. Let's rock. Well, hey, it is good to be with you guys tonight. If you're new here to Salt Company, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and trusting us with your Thursday night. We're so excited for you to be here. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, we'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 4. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. It's a standalone sermon. Next week, we're going to be starting our Joseph series, which is going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Joseph's story is incredible. We believe that God is going to do incredible things. Tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 as we look at common people and uncommon God. Let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, thank you for moments like this where we get to look at your word, where we get to be changed by who you are. Father, I pray that your spirit would be heavy in this room. I pray that the kingdom of God would touch earth in this place. Father, would you do incredible things? Things that we could never ask or imagine. Would you start a movement from this place that would go to the ends of the earth? Would Acts chapter 4 be a definitive moment in the lives of many of us? Would we hear about an uncommon God who wants to use common people to change the world? Would we get a vision for our lives that would go far beyond this place? Father, thank you for the joy of worshiping you. Thank you for your grace, your kindness, and your sacrifice. In your name we pray, amen. Okay. Have you guys ever thought about all the ways you wish you were different? Ooh, let's talk about insecurities. So, big deal for me. One of them physically, guys, I don't know if you've ever met this person, but every time I see Hope Adebayo, I'm like, man, I wish I was more like him. Like, guys, this guy had a boot on his foot for like months, did not work out. Eight canes twice a day on average, okay? Some days were more, some days were less. And he got bigger, stronger, and faster. Like, how is that possible? That's genetics. Get you some. Feels illegal, I'll say it, but whatever. Mentally, okay? When you listen to guys like Elon Musk, who's talking about how he's going to get to Mars, and you're like, <laughs> how am I going to get to Aldi? You're like, how do I get to my next location? I've always wanted to be good at math, Okay? Truly, this is tragic, but most of my math career has been spent with people being like, can you help me? Because I'm Asian. It's just true. I look like I'd be good at it. And I go to them, and I'm like, I'm disappointed too. Like, that's most of my experience. Emotionally, you ever just meet naturally happy people? You're like, they're like, they wake up, and they're like, oh, my gosh, the sun is shining. You're like, already? Like, that's what it feels like, you know? Already, you're awake. Right? This is what it feels like. There's so many things about you that you wish you were different. I mean, this is true for all of us. But more than things that we wish were different about us, I think a lot of us wish we were different, a different kind of person. And honestly, as I've thought about most of my life, this has been a huge journey, particularly in my childhood. I remember when I was 12 years old, and I told my immigrant mom I wish I'd been born white. I remember when I was 16, and I was so riddled with social anxiety, I couldn't even look people in the eye and have a full conversation. I wish I was a different kind of person. And even now, grown, adult-ish, kind of, depending on who you ask, my wife's like, you're such a ridiculous person, but I look serious on stage, but in life, I'm like, ha so that's what I feel like. 
even at this stage in my life, I'm about to have a little broccoli running around. It's going to be an exciting time. He's going to be best friends with Shia. It's going to be great. And I still, on a day-to-day basis, struggle with mental health still have a proneness towards depression and anxiety, and it takes me every single day to fight that. And I wake up almost every day wishing that God would have made me different. I think all of us have insecurities that we struggle with, and even some of those insecurities might have bled into our relationship with God. I remember so much of my insecurity growing up as I became a Christian was, could God use someone as broken as me? Could God use someone with my weaknesses, my sin patterns, my woundedness? Could God actually use me in his great plan for the world? And maybe some of you guys are here tonight and you're asking yourself similar questions. You're looking at your life. You're looking at your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your wounds, and you're asking, could God actually use someone like me? That's the question I want to ask tonight is what kind of people does God use to change the world? Three parts we're going to see from Acts chapter 4, if you're a note taker. The first part is he uses people with mouths. Yes. Most of you have them, okay? (laughs) If you don't. Anyways, moving on. Second thing, he uses common people. He uses common people. And the last thing is he uses convicted people. Look with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 7. This is what it says. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, so here's where we are. We haven't been doing an Acts series, so let me catch you up a little bit on what the books of Acts actually is. The book of Acts is a collection of works written by the Apostle Luke to tell us of how the church began. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends. Ooh, flies. The disciples are like, where'd he go? And the angels are like, what are you looking at? And they're like, for Jesus. Okay, gone, seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is up there chilling. Acts chapter 2, Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send the helper. So the spirit descends. 3,000 people get saved in one day. Big baptism service. It was a true baptism worship party. It was a fantastic time. I would assume. I've read about it. It wasn't there. Acts chapter 3, lame beggars get healed. God is starting to miraculously heal people. It's going gangbusters. Acts chapter 4. Peter begins to preach about the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus may have been killed by the rulers, but he did not stay dead. That begins a movement. And as we catch ourselves up into this moment, 5,000 men and 20,000 people total have been saved. In a short amount of time, the city of Jerusalem is being turned upside down. And the religious leaders who killed Jesus are understandably pissed okay they're like oh my gosh what the heck verse 2 says they're greatly annoyed they were tweaking they're like what is happening we killed Jesus we thought that would crush the movement but then we killed him and then the movement explodes that's frustrating that's frustrating that's where the religious leaders are at and they ask him Peter and John in verse 7 by what name or by what power are you doing these things here's why they asked him that Peter and John here we're unimpressive people. You know what I'm saying? They looked at PD and they're like, mm, not that great. And then they looked at the result and they're like, that's a great result. So they're like, what's the difference between unimpressive people and incredible result? So they're asking them, by what name? What is there, were you sponsored? Did Jay Beebs convert? Like what happened to begin this incredible gospel movement? 
Peter responds in a really simple way. He says, it's by the name of Jesus alone. It's Jesus whom you crucified, whom you rejected, which is a savage move. Which, by the way, these are the same religious leaders that killed Jesus. <laughs> Fighting words, okay? Whom God raised from the dead. It is his name by his power that people are being changed. Verse 11, this is so important. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is an emphatic truth bomb by Peter. No other name under Jesus, other, other than Jesus by which you must be saved. Here's a point I want to make here. Think about this from the religious leader's perspective. These ragtag, sketchy disciples, you know what I'm saying? Like, guys, these guys were teenagers. It looked like they were just starting a cult. Honestly, that's what it looked like. They had no money, no platform, no privilege, and they go from 120 strong after the death of Jesus, by the way, to 20,000 in like a heartbeat. People are being healed. The kingdom of God is coming to Jerusalem. And the religious leaders are like, how the heck is this possible? Peter reiterates, it was by speaking the name of Jesus. Guys, I want to give you a little theology lesson. Think about how God chose to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It wasn't through power. Guys, Christianity began as a, more, as a minority sect of Judaism, not with power, but with persecution. It wasn't through platform. Please, guys, these disciples, they had no money. They were scrubs, okay? <laughs> they were scrubs. They had no money, no platform, no brand. It wasn't through privilege. Christianity has historically always reached the people on every side of the socioeconomic ladder, but primarily the lowest side, saving them and giving them a vision for their lives. It wasn't through power. It wasn't through platform. It wasn't through privilege. God's redemptive plan wasn't through military occupation. It wasn't through policies. What God chose to use to change the world was a message. It was a simple idea that the God of the universe died for us so that we could have salvation in him. So here's what Peter and John didn't have. They didn't have power. They didn't have platform. They didn't have privilege. But they had mouths to speak a message. And it began the greatest movement in all of human history. I remember when I got first saved, I felt so unqualified to be used by God, okay? Guys, my story is we grew up incredibly poor. I had like no friends. I had some friends, but like only the good kind, but I didn't have a lot of friends, you know? And I didn't have power, platform, or privilege. I had nothing to offer God. And I remember on a Wednesday night, I met Jesus. And I heard of the news of a God of the universe who wanted to know someone as broken and wounded as me with all of my sin and all of my mess, and he wanted to change me and save me, and that night I got saved. The next day I go to class, or I go to school, and I remember having this visceral moment as I walked through the halls of Apple Valley High School. Go freaking Eagles. Any Eagles in this room? There's like three of us. Holy cow! That is a nearby suburb. Really? No one? Okay. I should have said, like, Lakeville. There's probably a lot of Lakeville people. Anyways, moving on. No, 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 you didn't go. It was Apple Valley I was shouting out. Lakeville is always better than us. Moving on, back to the story. I remember walking through the halls of good old Apple Valley High School, brown and yellow everywhere. It was disgusting. But, you know, walking through the halls, and, uh, and I had this visceral moment where every single person I walked by, they looked like a ghost to me because I realized that every single person I walked by, if they did not come into a life-altering relationship with Jesus, they would spend eternity apart from him forever. 
They would spend the rest of their lives chasing things that would only make them feel more dead inside. And they would waste their lives on things that don't matter, the one life they had to spend on this earth. And while I realize that, that depthful, broken reality of every single human being in human history, I also felt completely powerless to do anything about it. I didn't have the right tools. I wasn't equipped. I didn't know all the right Christian things. I didn't really grow up around a ton of Christianity. So I looked at those people and I felt incredibly powerless. And then I realized the simple reality that what God used to save me wasn't some impressive moment. It wasn't all these crazy signs. It wasn't this incredible platform or some celebrity converting. What God used to save me was a message. And in that moment, I realized that God had given me the one thing I needed to share the message, and that was a mouth. So here's the reality. If you've got power platform or privilege, I pray that you would use it for the kingdom of God. I pray that you would utilize it for his kingdom. But here's the good news. Even if you don't, the only thing you need to qualify you for kingdom movement is a mouth and a message. Okay, so that's the first thing God uses is mouths. Here's the second thing he uses, people who are common. Look with me to verse 12 through 13. This is some of my favorite verses in the Bible, but I've said that four sermons in a row now, so it feels disingenuous. Verse 12, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common when they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, so the religious leaders were astonished. Why? Twofold. One is because they expected perfection and power, but then they saw really mid people, you know? They're like, you're not that impressive. How the heck is this happening? That's the number one, number one reason. In fact, in the Greek, the word common, which I know, I don't do Greek much here, but the word common has the same root as idiots, okay? So another way to read this would be they were uneducated idiots. <laughs> That's tough. Secondly, secondly, they were shocked because of Peter's story. Guys, you guys have to realize this, Petey here, okay? Just a couple of chapters ago, in you know, the chronology of the Bible, denied Jesus three times. Three times he denied Jesus. Hey, do you know Jesus? Nope, I don't know him. Hey, is that the person you're associated with? I'm not associated with him. He was ashamed of Jesus. And then in a very short amount of time, he goes from being ashamed of Jesus to proclaiming Jesus to the same people who killed Jesus. They were astonished that God would use Peter for this. Here's why I belabor this point. People often think that God uses impressive people to change the world. They often think he uses amazing people to change the world. They often think he uses only influencers to change the world. But here's what God has done for 2,000 years. He has used common people to change the world. Idiots, in fact. In fact, literally, that's the biblical reality. So if you're like, I feel a little dumb today, God will use you. I mean, it's an exciting reality for us in math class. Okay, moving on. But the end of this passage may be the most beautiful part, and here's what the religious leaders say. They looked at them, unimpressive, idiots, common people. And I love what they say about them. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So I mean, this is the key. Peter went from ashamed to bold because he had been with Jesus. He went from being faithless to faithful because he had been with Jesus. He went from being ashamed to an apostle because he had been with Jesus. Listen to me, this is really important. 
Beholding produces boldness. If you want to live a life defined by boldness and courage for the kingdom of God, then you need to understand that it begins with beholding Jesus. Listen, some of you in this room, you know, we're going to go in on talking about what it looks like to live for the kingdom. But before you do that, some of you need to understand that far more important than anything you could ever do for God is how much you're with him is the intimacy of your relationship with Jesus because it's in the beholding that love begins, that life begins, that peace begins, that movement begins, that boldness comes from. It is beholding that produces the boldness. And so here's the good news I have for you tonight. God uses unimpressive, broken, weak people to bring the most impressive, beautiful, and strong message in the world. That was true for Peter, and that's true for you. Okay. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, Tony, I, I sent to that. I believe that God can use common people to change the world. But what if my story is uncommon? What if my story isn't normal? What if my story is so drenched with trauma, sin, wounding, and weakness that I'm not sure God could use someone as broken as me? Peter understood that feeling really well. Guys, think about what it would have been like to deny Jesus three times and then watch him hang on that cross. Think about the shame and guilt of Peter. Every morning he would wake up and think about the ways that he denied Jesus. Every morning he would wake up, the exact words he said to a servant girl was, woman, I do not know him. He would have thought of that moment all the time. And yet what God does with Peter is he restores Peter and he gives him an opportunity to not just relive the past but to build a beautiful future with Christ. And what he does with Peter is he uses his past brokenness to create in him a present boldness. And that's what he does for us. Guys, one of the most helpful things that I heard from my pastor Drew is that in God's economy, every disadvantage in your life is a gospel advantage. Everything painful that you've ever endured every stuck cycle of sin that you've ever been in, every weakness and part of your story that you hate, God will use by his grace to heal the people around you and to bring them into relationship with Jesus. In the words of Henry Nouwen, we become wounded healers. Your deepest wounds can be your greatest source of compassion and understanding. Listen, guys, what if in God's economy your weakness isn't a disqualifier for you to be used by God? but it is the very thing that qualifies you. I've seen this in my life. I've, I've talked about a little bit of those things for the last couple weeks and for this year, but there's so many things in my life I wish were different, honestly. Grew up with an abusive dad, grew up in poverty, grew up hating the color of my skin. All those things were true about my life. Grew up hating the social anxiety, hating the insecurity, hating all of that, and yet here's what I've seen God do. God has used every single wounding and weakness in my life for his glory, truly. It has been one of the greatest joys of being on the front line of God's mission while showing my weakness and my brokenness. God's beauty has been proclaimed. It has been one of the greatest gifts of being a Christian. And I came to the realization a couple years ago that though those things were hard for me, I wouldn't want it any other way because God had been so gracious to redeem my broken past for the people around me, and he's healed me of those things. So maybe you're here, and you're thinking, God can't use me. God can't mobilize me. God can't send me into the mission field because I've got too many things wrong with my story. 
I'm too unimpressive. I'm non-equipped. I don't know the right things. I don't know what I need to do. I'm not healed from my past yet. Here's my encouragement for you. God is an expert at using unimpressive, unequipped, unbelievably broken people for his glory and his kingdom. Second thing God uses is God uses common people. Last thing we're going to look at tonight is God uses people who are convicted. Verse 18 says this. So they called them and charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered him, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. See, here's what was true about Peter and John. They were common people, but they were changed people. They had met Jesus. They had experienced death to their sin and resurrection in Christ. Guys, these guys were forever changed. They couldn't go serve men anymore because they were serving a living God. That was true of Peter and John. They were common, but they were changed. And here's what changed people say. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Guys, this is what happens when you meet Jesus. There's a compulsion in your soul to speak of what he's done for you. There's a part of your heart that wants to go out to those who do not know Jesus and tell them about him. You don't even have a choice. It just overflows out of you. It's much like when I receive a Lulu gift card for Christmas. Okay, listen to me. Especially $100 plus. It's very exciting, I'm not gonna lie. Because you can, not, you can buy nothing for under $100 at Lulu. So anyways, because then you know when you have a gift card and then it costs you almost the same amount. Anyways, that's a whole thing. It's gift card etiquette. But moving on. It's like when I get a gift card from Lulu, you know? From my in-laws, because we can't afford that stuff. So from my in-laws, they give us a gift card. I get really excited. And when I get back to the cities, it's like, I've got to go. You know, like, I've got to go to Lulu. Like, sometimes I even go during my work day. Don't tell my boss. But it's just true. I go, and I'm like, I can't wait. And I'm like, give it all. I mean, I just, I'm just kidding. You can get, like, 1.4 things with $200 gift card. But go to Lulu. Got to spend it. You know, I cannot just let it burn a hole in my pocket. I need to use the gift card. Maybe dumbest analogy I've ever done in three years. I'll be honest, but it's just, it's the first one that came to me. I just had to do it. Here's the idea. When you meet Jesus, you cannot help but share him with other people. This is what it's like to be a Christian. It's by having a compulsion in your heart. It's like when you meet Jesus, you found the greatest treasure. You found the cure to cancer. You found the greatest stock that will send your portfolio up and to the right. Most of you guys are in debt, down and to the left. But, you know, one day, portfolio up and to the right. It's very exciting. You found the thing that can change the world. And you can't help but scream it to people. And it looks weird. It does. They're like, why are you so excited about this? Keep it to yourself. That's what they're going to say. But you can't help but share it because he has so radically transformed your life. And here's my question for you. If that compulsion doesn't exist in your heart, do you actually know Jesus? If you're fine holding the truth of the gospel in your heart, in your little cul-de-sac of Christianity where it's just you and all your other buddies who know Jesus and you never share it with people who do not know God, your heart doesn't even burn for that. You don't care functionally. You pray about people getting saved, but you never actually call on a friend to say, hey, I gotta tell you some good news. Do you know Jesus? 
So I think the challenge with the American church right now is we've created a lot of consumer Christians, but not many with compulsion in their hearts. We've taught people, here's what Christianity is. You just use Jesus. Man, you're having a bad day? Jesus is your pill. You want to get out of hell? Man, you should talk to this guy named Jesus. You want to live a morally upright life and maybe get a girlfriend who loves God? You should talk to Jesus. We have taught hundreds and thousands and millions of people that what Christianity is, is to use Jesus. This is consumer Christianity. But let me tell you, cross-centered Christianity is not about using Jesus, it's about worshiping him. And when you look at a savior on a bloody tree and realize that it was your sins that put him there, the questions you ask are not, what can you do for me, Jesus? How can you make my life better? How can you make it more comfortable and more convenient and easier to live? The questions you begin to ask is, Jesus, how can I honor you with my entire life? How can I die to myself because you have died for me? Your questions begin to change and you become a convictional Christian. Listen, here's what the apostles were. They were not consumers. They were common, uneducated men who had been with Jesus and it changed everything about who they were. Consumer Christianity is passive, it's flimsy, it's fake, and it will die at the first wind of difficulty. Consumer Christianity isn't Christianity. I want to end this quote as I call the worship band back up with a quote from my friend. What sticks out to me in verse 18 through 19 is probably a large reason for my many people lack boldness, and it is that we fear man rather than God being too consumed with thoughts of how others will view us and possibly reject us, so we keep our mouths closed, keeping the good news within ourselves, but this is not what Jesus intended. The apostles risked their lives for the movement of the gospel, and in their words, it was worth it. We are merely being asked to risk our comfort to see generational gospel movement, and without a doubt, it will be worth it. David Ayini, student leader. Yeah, DA, baby. Here's what DA is pointing out. This is what it means to live a convictional life. And may we give up our comfort for the glory of God. Okay, so let's go back to the first question we asked tonight. What kind of people does God use to change the world? Here's my thesis statement for you. God uses common convicted people with mouths to change the world. And not only has he done that in the world, he's done that in this place. Guys, three years ago, we were sketch. I'll be honest. I mean, things were rough. We were 30 college students at one university. Three years. That's 36 months. Look at that mental math. <laughs> Excited for me? Anyways, moving on. Three years ago, 30 college students at one university. And here's what God did. God used people with mouths. I remember our first leaders retreat at the Grace Point House. Real quick, if you were at that leaders retreat, raise your hand. So, okay, there were like 10 of you guys, I think. Are, is there no one in this room? A couple back there, Monty, okay. So literally look around. Three years ago, there were like apparently seven of us in this room that were at that leader's retreat. We had no idea what God would do. And guys, there was no room like this. We didn't even know this was possible three years ago. We didn't have any anticipation. Honestly, we're pretty afraid. I was pretty afraid we we're gonna fail. Like I felt that, you know? 
And we asked God to do incredible things. And here's what he did. He used normal people with mouths to share the gospel. And three years later, this room exists because God used a couple people in a house in Wisconsin in a sketchy basement to bring the gospel to the city of St. Paul. Second thing he used, he's used common people to do uncommon things. Guys, my friend, Evan Peterson, this guy's incredible, okay? He's kind of weird initially when you meet him, but he's really good at chair stacking and a really godly man. So Evan, Evan, I remember two years ago, we're sitting and we're hanging out. We're talking about the campus of Concordia. And he had spent years laboring on that campus with almost no gospel fruit. Years begging God to do something. And I was like, Evan, what if God would use your common life, your small life, to bring revival to the campus of St. Concordia? And just a couple years later, just a couple years later, God has done incredible things there. And my hope is that six years down the road, Evan could come back and see 40, 50, 60 student leaders on the campus of Concordia tilling the soil for gospel movement. Elise Elliott, Livegard, I did her wedding. Elise Livegard, she got married. Incredible woman, you love her. Elise, transferred to the University of St. Kate's. Didn't know almost anyone else there. Went there and realized that that campus was incredibly antagonistic towards Christianity. Labored there for years, begging God to move. Slow start. Right now, we have like seven student leaders on that campus and one day, I hope that in a couple years, there'd be a movement of God so big at the University of St. Kate's that the whole disposition of that campus would change because Christians would put their stake in the ground and say, I wanna be a common people and see uncommon things. Connor McGowan, he's like one of the most normal people you'll ever meet. I love you, Connor, it's just true, I love you. I love you, he's a great guy. He's a normal dude, but God used him at the University of St. Thomas. Three years of faithful raising up labors 30 students at St. Thomas to over 500 students in this room from 12 different college campuses in three years, not through impressive people, through common people that God would use in an uncommon way. But lastly, here's what was true about our leadership team then, and here's what's true now. They're convictional people. They're people like Jalil and Clone, who got saved, hopped onto our leadership team, and knew nothing about Christianity. I mean, it was kind of tough initially, but we love them, and they have grown so much unequipped, didn't know much of the Bible, but had a conviction in their hearts that their friends needed Jesus. So they raised their hand and said, here I am, Lord, send me. God has used common convicted people with mouths for 2,000 years and he's used them to build this place right here. That's what God has done. And so here's my application from this sermon for some of you. One, one application could be, you need to tell someone about Jesus. If you're here and you have met Jesus, you need to have eyes to see the fact that there are people all around you who do not know Jesus and you need to tell them about them. Second application, many of you in this room need to apply for leadership. And I know you're thinking, yeah, but Tony, I'm not impressive, I'm common. Maybe you think you're an idiot. Well, God can use that, you know? I mean, praise God, this is a great text. Some of you guys, many of you need to apply for leadership and here's why. Because I'm begging that through your life, what God would do here, would shape the city of St. Paul forever. And listen, let me make it really clear for you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't. Saul Company doesn't need you. You're not that big of a deal. But you could spend the next two, three years of your life on the sidelines passively consuming. Or you could say, I wanna get in the game. I wanna be a convicted, called Christian. Even with all of my weakness and all of my brokenness, I want in. 
And here's what I'm hoping that God would do. 20 years down the road, when I'm gone and you're gone and everyone here is gone and we're all old and wrinkly and stuff, you know, like that's gonna be our futures. I hope that we could come back on a Thursday night and see thousands of college students walking down Summit Avenue, praying that God would send revival to this city from McAllister and Hamlin and Northwestern and Bethel, which by the way, if you're here from those two schools, I pray that you would be a convicted Christian, not a consumer. That you would lay down your stake and say, I want God to use me. From Hamlin, from McAllister, from Concordia, from St. Thomas, I'm praying that one day there would be thousands of college students prayer walking down Summit Avenue, heading to downtown St. Paul to worship Jesus. That will happen by the grace of God, whether or not you get involved. But I'm hoping that you do. I'm hoping that you don't waste your college years on things that don't matter. And I'm hoping that you put your stake in the ground and you say, here I am, Lord, send me. This right here might be the trajectory setting moment for hundreds of you in this room where you do not sit on the sidelines, passively watching other people take the good news to people who are far from Jesus. But you say, Jesus, I'm in. Here I am, Lord, send me. All hail King Jesus. I wanna give you everything in my life, not just my Thursdays, but everything about who I am. And I pray that one day, 20 years from now, we would have the blessing of walking down Summit Avenue together, worshiping King Jesus. Let me pray that that vision would come true. Father, I pray that this room would not be a room of consumer Christians that use Jesus to feel a little better, that use Jesus to get out of hell, that use Jesus to feel a little moral. Father, would this room be a room of convicted Christians and Jesus, there's people in this room right now who just heard this message and they do not know you. I pray that they would hear verse 11. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which there is salvation. So Father, would you do it? Would you save and send people tonight? Would you move in people? Would you redeem people? And would you send people to their campus, to their teammate, to their hall, to the nations, on church plants? Would you send people from biology class to different places and countries? that need Jesus. Father, and I pray that you would raise up from this room hundreds of laborers for your gospel that would see their college experience as not something that they do just for fun, but something that you have set them on as a trajectory of missionality. So Father, would you do it? Would you raise up laborers in this place? Would you make us common, convicted people with mouths that change the world? Father, I pray that this would be true. In your name we pray, amen.